we don't we don't realize what our what our actual morality is until it's tested. tested. Gosh. We're gonna put that on the front of the podcast. <laughs> It takes a while before you can claim even an idea as your own. It's like so many people have things that they're that they talk about on social media or in books, but they haven't really earned the right to talk about those things. Mm-hmm. So you were giving the example of woodworking mm-hmm. and how like you're learning so much about it, but you don't really feel like it's fully yours yet. Yeah. Um, so the first thing that popped into my head when you said that was I was listening to a guy on a, a podcast talking about he, how he has a rule that he doesn't talk about something that he's doing. He was talking about it in relation to like weightlifting and training, but he doesn't talk to anybody about anything new that he's doing until he's done it for six months. Like, it's his six-month rule. Um, and so I, I guess he does that because there's so many people, and it's, and it's everyone's temptation to try something new, and, and, it be, and it's like the coolest thing ever, and you think that this is going to be your new thing. And then within, you know, uh, a few weeks or whatever, you're not doing it anymore. So I think this relates in some way to owning something. So I don't really know what the time span is. I don't know that there's an actual number on it. But yeah, so for me, uh, dad and I have been timber framing for several years in high Well, I guess it was college. Um, we started working on a timber frame. We're calling it Cedar Hall uh, here out on the farm. And so I helped him with that one summer. And then this summer we... I've been working on a gazebo for Union University that's all timber frame stuff. And I was telling you about how it feels like I haven't really owned that and I don't really love timber framing. Um, and so, you know, I'm still learning about what timber framing is and the philosophy behind it and also how to just do it. Um, so, yeah, I think it's important as a person to know what, what you want to own and sort of decide you can't own everything. Um, like if you're an artist, you can't be the best painter, the best ceramicist, and the best, you know, drawer either. You you've got to sort of pick. You've got to sort of pick one or two things that you want to really be passionate about and own. So the nice thing about the six month rule is it gives a specific time. But is it more just experience for him? For just in general, like yeah. I mean, even like for you working on woodworking, timber framing? I mean, is it just a matter of you do it enough times and it becomes a part of you? Is that kind of the Mm. idea? I don't know. I'm still deciding whether I like timber framing. Okay. Um, There's parts of it and aspects of it that I like. Um, I'm sorry I'm not really answering your question, but uh, it's the same way with ceramics. I mean, I love parts of ceramics and then there's parts that I really don't like um do you feel like you're able to speak of ceramics like it's yours no not entirely not entirely yeah um that I think that that takes a lot more commitment than I have had for it 
Um, I mean, I definitely think about ceramics a lot. I, I think about how um, mugs and bowls and stuff are shaped and finished and everything like that. Whenever I hold something that's handmade, I'm, that's what automatically what my head's thinking about. But it would take me, it would take a lot more commitment on my part to truly be able to own that. Um, and I think more about ceramics than I do timber framing. Like when I look at um, timber frame structures or even buildings, like I, I think about the way that they were made, the architecture and things like that. But it's more of a, I don't know if this is going to make sense, but it's more of a projected thing that I'm putting on myself to sort of, because this is something I'm, timber framing is something I've been doing recently, so I'm sort of trying to live that out <clears throat> more um, and sort of think about it more. And it's not really coming from within myself. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. I'm just thinking about like how many books wouldn't be written if everybody had that rule. Mm. Like, I mean, even in college, I, there's plagiarism, and you're not allowed to plagiarize. But even when you're not plagiarizing, you're expected to spend most of your time analyzing other people's ideas. Hmm. And my best papers in college weren't really my own. They Mm. were other people's. Mm -hmm. And I was just compiling glorified quotes, essentially, and just rewording the quotes so that I could fool myself into thinking that it was mine, Hmm. but it wasn't. It was was somebody else's research that you were researching. Yeah, yeah. It's second-hand knowledge. Hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's a really profound thing to, to pick some things in life that are going to become yours because there's a, there's a kind of dedication involved that mm-hmm. four years of college can't get you. Yeah. Um, your friends can't get you. Yeah, that's It important. doesn't matter how many, what influences there are around you. You mm-hmm. have to, there's a, there's a real intentionality with that. It comes naturally. It always has to come naturally. When I was in college and even after I was college and I was taking those ceramics classes, all the um, thoughts that I had about being a potter and being a sculptor, um, they were all mostly coming from without myself. Like they they weren't coming from within me. Mm -hmm. They were sort of pushed on me by outside influences. Uh, and, and like this is not 100% of the reason I did ceramics uh, by any means because there was parts there. I mean, there were, I loved ceramics and I loved clay. Um, but there was also a lot of like outside influences telling me that I could be really good at this and I thought that I needed to ascribe to that. Um, and so, but, but at that, and so every time I was like, every time I'd think like, okay, the next step in being a potter is to get an apprenticeship at such and such place. Or it was like, I was like always coming up with this plan, but it never happened naturally. Like it never, the way, the way you find out what you're going to own is the thing that comes out of you naturally. The thing that you, your heart sort of, and for all of you listening, like Connor and I are, how old are we? 23, 24. So like, we don't really hardly know what we're talking about. Um, but we've started to learn, like, okay, that wasn't something that I'm, you know, passionate about. I'm going to lay that on the back burner or off to the side and pick this other thing else up. Um, so we're still, at least I am still trying to figure out, you know, what all I'm truly, who all I truly am and what all I truly care about. 
So I don't mean to put you on the spot, but what things in your life do you feel like you really own that you can really speak with authority on? I mean, from outside, it seems like the advice that you give regarding weightlifting, I really take seriously because it comes with a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a big part of what you're talking about with owning yeah. something. Yeah. So, um, so exercise and weightlifting would be one thing. It started out as a way to impress girls, and then I just kept doing it after I got married and kept doing it, and it's gotten to the point where it's it's something that truly comes out of myself. And, like, one way to test yourself and one way that I've found is that when you go for, like, go, go take a, a nice four- or five-hour drive on I-40, and then whatever you start thinking about yeah. is what you is what you are, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so when I'm driving and I don't have anything else to think about, I'm usually thinking about what what I want to structure my next week workouts to be. I've actually, uh, I don't know if Angela's told you, your wife, but um, Angela's your wife. <laughs> no way. <laughs> um, but I've been working on sort of a workout plan for her because she's trying to do yeah, that Spartan yeah. race. She's, she was telling me she's so excited about um, it. I, yeah, so I, it, like, I've just been thinking, you know, when I, when I have free time, it's, I, I think about my workouts, anybody else's workouts, sort of um, f- trying to figure out how exactly that all fits together. So, like, that would be one thing. Um, and I kind of feel kind of lame saying that because whenever somebody, whenever you hear about the word weightlifting or working out, it automatically, for most people, it jumps to, like, the bros, like the biceps and triceps kind of workouts and all, you know, and it's and it's... <clears throat> but, and there's part of that that comes with the... Well, if I hear you right, what you're saying is that it started that way, and yeah. now it's gone way past it. Yeah, So for sure. Now, I mean, just to give people listening an idea, Macklin has created his own, his own personal gym at his house. You know, he repurposed a shed and has bought all of his weight gear himself, He's created his own personal arsenal. He's had to go through and think, okay, I want to include this. I'm not going to use this. Mm-hmm. This would be a waste of money. This would be really important to have. Um, he's had to think, what weights am I going to want in the future? Mm-hmm. And he's cleaned the rust off them himself because he's bought them off Craigslist. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a level of ownership that you don't get from Planet Fitness yeah. or Gold's Gym. Yeah. Part of that came out of just a necessity I mean, I was just poor. Um, so, like, having a gym membership wasn't an option. And so having my own stuff was cheaper in the long run. Cleaning the rust off your weights, though, that's got to do something for ownership. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't follow through with that unless, unless, it's, unless you care about it deeply. Yeah. So. Um, so I would say exercise, just general exercise is something that I, that I would take ownership of. Yeah. Well, um, that's... that's that's a big deal. I mean, most people in America don't mm. have control of their body. Yeah. So that's, that's well, a pretty important yeah. one. Well, it's just lucky that, that that's the thing I'm passionate about because um, it could be easily be something else. And there's other things that are more fringe that, I, that I'm sort of in the process of taking ownership of. A coffee would be one of those things. Yeah. Um, 
And then another thing is that I'm sort of realizing and, and I'm in the midst of discovering right now is the ownership of <clears throat> trying to better the land that I live on. Um, so for those of you that, that don't know, the farm that my wife and I and also Connor and Angela and our two sons, our, our, our kids, we all live on this farm that was uh, bought by, let's see, I guess it would be my great grandfather or great great anyways my, my son julian is the fifth julian that's lived on this farm and um just over time there's things that uh like like trees have grown up where trees shouldn't be and weeds have grown up where weeds shouldn't be and tree lines have encroached on yards and um there's just there's just general maintenance and there's a lot of there's a lot of redemption that can be done to this place and i mean so, so part of the, I guess the next, the thing that I'm taking ownership of right now would be just trying to, uh, do this farm a service and, and, um, try and make it better. And it's not fun. I mean, I'm almost always in a bad mood when I'm doing it. Like, yeah, it's, it just automatic, like cutting down trees and snaking off trees is like horrible work, especially in June in Tennessee. It's like, you're like swimming around in in the air. So, um, but, but then I get up and do it the next day. So like something is there, something's happening that is not entirely, I'm not entirely conscious of, but is sort of becoming part of me. So some of these things we're born into and some of them we choose ourselves, but in either case they have to become a part of us. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you, that you can think of that, um, you could claim as your as yourself i think i'm i think i'm growing in music i think i think that's, that's which big. direction because there's a lot of directions um well it's it's in a church context for me okay. um and that actually has been a pretty conscious choice so i've been doing a lot of songwriting as a hobby since i guess high school um I, I mean, yeah, that many, many, many hours, um, just kind of in my own introspective world with music mm-hmm. and, uh, and I was, I was growing up, I was taught piano. So that's the, that's the, uh, part that was thrust upon me. But then the ownership part has been figuring out what kind of music I like and, and figuring out what I want to do with music, how I want to spend my time with it, because like you said, there are so many different directions you can go. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've made a conscious choice recently within the past couple years, and it's, it's, fortunately it's been the case that, that there was an external need right around the time that I was making this decision, but there was, there was a decision that I made to become less introspective with my music and more community focused. Yeah. So I don't write diary type songs anymore Mm -hmm. and I don't look down on people who do, but I've decided that that's a waste of my time personally. Okay. Um, so the, the music that I write, I, I only write it with the intention of sharing it with other people and it not really being about myself at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's a paradigm shift for me. Yeah. Um, 
because I spent, you know, a good four or five years just using songwriting as a as a journaling opportunity, yeah. you know, as a chance to to navel gaze, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and this is something different entirely. Yeah. So, um, is there is there a place in your life that you can that you, that do you think you had to trade diary? I don't know how to phrase this question, but you know, you you still need a chance to sort of de decompress and offload troubles and things that you have. Is there a place that you've been able to shift that load onto that gave you the opportunity to um, focus more on community style writing? Yeah, I think it's been more compartmentalizing. So for a lot of people who are musicians. Um, I think the norm is to blend prose and poetry and music all into one creative endeavor, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you do kind of uh, freestyle writing where you just write whatever comes into your head, and then you transform that into a song. And I'm choosing consciously not to do that. Hmm. And if I have something just in my head that's just for me that I want to think about, I just write it down in a notebook or something like that. Yeah. And then okay. I leave it alone and I don't try to turn it into something else. I see. Yeah. Did w- that shift that you made, was that a, did you realize that maybe there was some insincerity there or was it just, there's a need that needs to, there's a need that needs to be fulfilled. Um, I don't mean to like put you on. No, 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 no. I don't, there was a shift. I'm trying to think of insincerity as the right word. I'm not sure if that's the right word or not. I did have a feeling of, of this is not who I want to be. Mm-hmm. And so if that's what you mean by sure. insincerity, then yeah. Yeah. Well, that's not, that insincerity kind of has a bad connotation, but just maybe it's like, maybe you realize that, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I can't speak. Well, that. people don't realize that, that, songwriting is is takes take it takes more hours than people realize so i mean i still and maybe it depends on personality but i i still edit music that i wrote four or five years ago okay um it's i always want to change things and make it better um so like i for instance i played a song uh in church just this past sunday that i had written years ago and just this week I completely changed one of the verses. Mm. Um, I mean, part of that is just skill level increases over time, mm-hmm. and you notice things you didn't notice before. Sure, I'm sure, looking back, you notice things about ceramics that you wish you could do differently. Yeah, absolutely. The nice thing about songwriting is you can actually go back and change it. Yeah. Um, but also, I think it's just kind of a fluid process. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it would be really easy for me to just turn my... my introspectiveness into this eternal vain endeavor that just never ends. It could grow into something unhealthy. Yeah. It just seemed futile to me. And yeah, yeah, there was a, there was a moment where I decided this is stupid. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to do this. And yeah, I know a lot of musicians make a career out of this, but I'm not going to, there's no point. Um, this is, this is another question sort of along those lines, but I remember when we talked with Brian Dinker on the podcast. I can't remember. In fact, he may have said this after the podcast. I can't remember. But um, 
he talked about how in the Psalms, like a third of the Psalms are questioning, like, where are you, God? Yeah. You know, everybody's heard the, you know, the Psalm where it's like, why have you left me kind of thing? Um, so is there a point at which you're sharing your introspective uh, struggles or not struggles could encourage somebody else? Like, I wonder... Because I know that one of my um, one of my favorite Christian songs is the Andrew Peterson song that begins with "Do you know the world is broken?" or some, mm-hmm. something like that. And it's, I mean, I guess it's communal focus, but you can tell it's very like it's very personal as well. Yeah, and yeah. It, it gives the the listener and the worshiper the chance to be personal as well. Absolutely. So I wonder, like, yeah. how does that? Like, yeah. Can that play into it at Absolutely. all? Absolutely. Yeah. My favorite musician is a guy named Bebo Norman. Okay. And he doesn't make music anymore, um, at least not to my knowledge. But yeah, all of his music is introspective. Okay. So yeah, I don't, I don't think that's invalid at all. It's just a personal choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, for me, it's like choosing what genre of music to yeah. write. Um, you know, I love... Uh, music soundtracks. Yeah. But that's not the kind of music that I'm interested in creating myself. Sure. So, yeah, and the Psalms are a great example because, like, look, whether you're Christian or not, whether you, you know, regardless of what personal value in which you hold the Bible, you have to admit that the Psalms are some of the most beautiful poetry ever. Mm -hmm. Like, just objectively, that's just a fact. And on the one hand... The Psalms were written as a project for the community. It was temple worship. So it was written with groups of people and generations of people in mind. But then on the other hand, it's extremely introspective. They were written with a community in mind? Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought it was like David feeling lonesome. Well, some of them are, and then some of them are written by other people. Uh, I think one of them is at least allegedly written by Moses. One of them, uh, a group of them, by this group called the Sons of Korah. The Sons of Korah, yeah. Whoever they are. And there will be like um, notes at the beginning of some of the Psalms, like put this to this tune Mm -hmm. for the choir, use with stringed instruments. Okay. so whoever was gathering these psalms, and I think in some cases writing them, had a, mm. a particular okay. uh, format in I mind. See. Yeah, and it wasn't on the bed with the lute or right. whatever instrument they yeah. used. <laughs> Here's a quick quip for you. The sons of Korah. Okay. Korah was the guy in the Old Testament that uh, God caused a, a split in the earth, and he swallowed Korah up, I think. I think that's right. I'm pretty sure I'm right. So the sons are the sons of the person who got swallowed up? Yeah, like I think what was going on was like Moses was gone for a long time and this this guy named Korah was like, hey man, this is not cool. Like what are we doing around here? And then God got mad and swallowed him up. His It says his tent disappeared, his cattle. I guess some of his kids survived. Just like that. Yeah, well, which is interesting. That'll make you write some psalms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I'm yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not familiar with that. I just remember seeing different authors mm-hmm. at the beginning. And yeah. yeah, it's very much a community project. Hmm. It's like it didn't all come out of one guy's bedroom. Yeah. So, yeah. What are some of the challenges with um, putting the Psalms to hymns that we know? Yeah. So have I talked about this on the podcast? 
a little bit, okay. um, but I'd like to know more. And I and I have a direct question about like, how do you know where the line is of how to? I mean, because you can't put every word in these songs. Right. Um, and I'm sh- so I'm sure there's like a lot of um, yeah stuff that goes on there. That is why there are so many different translations of the Bible. Okay. That is why. Um, because you can go word for word where you try to make it as literally exact as possible, which at some point becomes futile because no translation is directly accurate. Like, for instance, well, let's take like. We say like a lot in the English language. If you were to directly translate that into another language, it would sound ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like whatever, whatever the, I don't know, pick any language whatever the Indonesian word for like is, if you put that everywhere that English people put like, it would make no sense at all. Okay. So you can't go all the way. Say what? (laughs) I said like this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you can't go all the way with direct word for word, but you also can't go just thought for thought either completely. Okay. Um, So that's more like the Message Bible or the New Living Translation. Okay. Um, So, yeah, I'm trying to find a middle ground and then on top of that, I'm trying to set it to music. So it's been, it's been a good challenge for myself. Um, Have you made any mistakes? I've gone back and thought that the first few that I made were not really that good at all. Okay. Um, just lyrically. Sure. Just, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've made any theological mistakes yet. (laughs) Well, hopefully. (laughs) Uh, But we won't know that until later, I guess. Yeah, I guess not. Um, This is some, this is, this will take us on another track. And if you want, don't want to go down this track, then just, you know, tell me. The only, the only uh, direction I want to steer this podcast at some point is I'd like to hear more about timber framing. Okay. But we can do that at any point. All right. Well, this, this relates a little bit to going back to your decision to go more community focused because I'm really interested in this. Sure. We uh, we as in me, you and our wives discussed one time at family dinner whether it was a good thing to show your to air your dirty laundry to others. Oh yeah. Specifically younger people. I think we all sort of had in mind our y- younger people. Yeah. Um and all three of us except you said yes. And and I'm not. This is. I th- I think either answer is fine. Sure. Um, but it. I think it. I think a huge part is personality, and your personality is to take encouragement from seeing other good examples. But, uh, <laughs> and and me and Reagan and Angela, I guess personality is to take encouragement from seeing bad examples. <laughs> I mean that that's sort of putting it funnily, but. In a way, like no, it makes sense to know saying. you know to know somebody else is having the same struggles is yeah. encouraging for us. Yeah, yeah. So, so I wonder like, if where does the encouragement come from? Is well, that... it also like does that play into the way you write music? Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. I hadn't thought. I hadn't made that connection, but you might be right. Um, yeah, you're probably right. The people that I find the most inspiring are the people who I know have flaws, but but choose to aim high regardless. Okay. And like 
they don't make the point of the stuff that they talk about how they're just normal people. Okay. And in a sense, they, they never stop being normal people, but they also somehow transform their life in a way. I, mm-hmm. This is my first time trying to put words to this, yeah. so this may not make any sense, but the but but shooting for an ideal in spite of your shortcomings, I find really inspiring. And I, I don't know how to do that while still just only talking about the shortcomings. So when you fall short of that ideal, that doesn't discourage you? Um... In terms of, in terms of music, in or anything, in, in anything. I'm, yeah, I've sort of widened it to yeah. anything. Um, I mean, I feel like if I say no, that's going to sound. I don't know what the right word is, like prideful or something. Or yeah, so I feel like I'm not allowed to say no, but I think that is the right answer. Yeah, I think that's the honest answer. Okay. Is, I I don't think I dwell as much on my failures as some people do. That's awesome. Well, again, that sounds really bad saying it, but I I I think I think I I think I struggle more in the opposite direction. You know, there's a struggle on both sides. Mm-hmm. So I see. the struggle on the other side that I have is not being honest when people need it of me. Mm, I see. Like people who are close to me, you know, the people who are close to me are the ones that need to know my faults. I see. And that's where I can err mm. is just not thinking to point them out. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Is your do you do you get this from your family? Is this a genetic thing or is this just a you thing? Cuz Cameron seems pretty even keeled for a how old is he? 20 year old. Yeah. Um, but then again, I don't know your family. I just wonder, I was like, I just think surely like this is not a, it's gotta be like something more than just it happened. Yeah. I, if I got it from anyone, it was probably my mom. Okay. Great. Um, but again, this is, I haven't, I haven't tried to, this, this is brand new for me. Yeah. Just thinking about this. So. That's why I'm hesitant. It's not that I'm trying to like hide something. It's sure. that I'm 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 hearing it in my head before I say it out well, loud. Well, if it takes if it if you take any encouragement from this, like this is something you being this way is something I've noticed. You know, my ever since we started to get a little closer, and it's been a big, um, like it's been something that I've stri- strove for, striven. I don't know what the right word is um, to have in my own life is to sort of even things out emotionally every other way um, in, a, in an effort to sort of sail in one direction. Because, um, I mean, you've been like this ever since I've known you, which is, and like you said, I mean, it's got its, down, it's, got its, its cons, but it yeah. also has its pros. And so, like, you know, there's a line to play there. Um, well, and so it's been a big encouragement and inspiration to me. Like, like we said on a previous podcast, maybe between the two of us, we equal one whole person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, it's nice to hear it put in a positive spin. Yeah. That's always nice. Yeah. Um, I, I know that the people, again, the people that I find the most inspiring are the people who don't make a big deal about their failures and 
they're not hiding them, but it's like they're not even thinking about them at all. Mm-hmm. It's like if it comes out, that's fine, but right. they are unhindered by them either way. Yeah. So I know that's the kind of person I want to be at least. Right. I mean, in a sense, um, I mean, I guess this is sort of how as a Christian we hope that our sins are to yeah. God. Yeah. Um, the ways that we come short. Right. He's aware of them, but he doesn't dwell on them. And um, So, yeah. Yeah. That's all I've got. That was like, dang, you, I, didn't, I guess we didn't know we were going in for a counseling session. But <laughs> This is what we mean by unscripted conversation. <laughs> I've, I've really been meaning out. to ask you these questions for a long time. Well, this, and I, this is the time this to do it. This is the format. This is, yeah, yeah. You're in the cabin. Well, yeah, it's so hot in here right now. I know, man. It's, I've got sweat coming down everywhere. Yeah, we had to turn off the air unit. So You're that welcome, we could, uh, sound quality. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> it's a cool place. We've got a, an elk <laughs> that's like two feet from my face right now. Yeah, he's breathing down your nose, man. Yeah, yeah. That elk was shot in Montana. No, I'm sorry. It's not. The rack behind you in the in the at the fireplace was shot in Montana by my grandfather. This elk that's mounted was is like one of the last elk in West Tennessee. Like the, what, elk have been reintroduced at like land between the lakes. Okay. Not land between the lakes. I guess land between the lakes. It's a state park somewhere in Tennessee yeah. and they've reintroduced an elk herd there. But before that, elk were extinct in I don't know if all Tennessee but West Tennessee. Uh, and this was one of the last ones. Used to hang out with the cows. Elk are so beautiful. Yeah. The first time I saw a live elk was on our Yellowstone trip. When okay. When we were, I guess it was Mammoth City, when we were pulling in. Yeah. And those elk, they were so used to people, they were so used to tourists, that they were just walking just in the town. Mm-hmm. It was so bizarre. Because it's like a it's like Did a you step see ones up with from, horns? No, the ones I did saw didn't have horns. Okay. They were, I guess, female. Yeah. Or maybe it wasn't that season, I don't sure. know. But it's like... It's obviously a step above deer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got deer and then there are elk. Yeah. And this is like another, yeah. this is another it's thing. It's another level, It's man. like the difference between a dog and a wolf. You know, that's my, yeah. It's like you, you've got some cool dogs like Malamutes <laughs> and Huskies, but if you see a wolf, yeah. like you can tell the difference. You ever seen a wolf? Uh, also on the Yellowstone trip. You saw one? Yeah, Samuel and I saw one. It was late at night. We were leaving. Um, it was late at night. We were pulling out. And you know how when you go in reverse and those those white lights in the back come on mm-hmm. along with the red. Right. Well, it lit up these two eyes that were like behind the car. Okay. And like, remember we're in a tiny Prius. Yeah. So it Five seems huge, a... like whatever it is. And yeah, <laughs> it was just one wolf. It wasn't a herd, okay. but it was awesome. I remember you kept saying, man, if I were a wolf, this is where I'd be. Yeah. That was like you're saying for the whole Yellowstone yeah. trip. Well, it, it turned out to be true. <laughs> oh gosh. Those trips were Life changing. That'll man. be another. That'll be another podcast. We need to have an episode just telling stories. And I'm, from we should steps. have one of the members on there. Mm-hmm. Josiah is the one that's around the most, so we yeah. should probably have him on to talk. All right, Josiah, you're listening, right? Yeah, man, you're next. <laughs> um. So, can I hear about timber framing? Yes. Now that we've like counseled. Now that we've gone to the counselor. Now that we've established, like <laughs> we've, we've put the disclosure at the beginning. Yeah. That. You are in learning process. Yeah. Um, part of me feels a little uncomfortable talking about timber framing, uh, so take, take all this with a grain of salt, um, or half a grain of salt. Well, let me start with this. This is, this is why we're talking about timber framing. So 
Uh, Macklin and his dad have been building a gazebo at a university in Jackson, Tennessee. And uh, it's a, you know, gazebos aren't big structures. It's not like they're building a house or Mm -hmm. a cabin or something like that. But it's a style of working with wood that's particularly beautiful. And so it's, it's a gorgeous project. And so they've got the, the most of the wood structure up. I think they still have to add some benches, mm-hmm. but most of the wood is there. Mm-hmm. And they're now working on the roofing. Mm-hmm. So they're putting the shingles on. And so for those of us watching from outside, it's actually starting to take shape at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to be there for the raising day um, where the pieces actually fit together. And we'll want to talk about how the pieces fit together because that's really cool. Yeah. But um, that gave me an, an interest in the project, mm-hmm. actually being there on raising day mm-hmm. because uh, there's so much math involved yeah. and there's so much hard work involved. And uh, it's not like you just cut the wood and throw it together. No. Real quick, let me, what, what was, what's your favorite part of it so far? Um, my favorite part so far are the, this, this is going to sound ridiculous, it's the, it's the underside pieces that are angled up yeah. that, that hold all the big pieces together. The ones that go from the center to the rafters or like the long rafters that go from the plates to the kingpin? Uh, not the kingpin one. The other, the ones that go from the outside in. Okay. Do they have so curves you've got in the, them or you got no? the big posts. Yeah. And it's the ones that that connect the the big posts uh-huh. to the top and just stabilize everything. Okay. Yeah. It's a small touch, but it angles everything up and mm-hmm. it just kind of completes the picture. Mm-hmm. So is it the ones with the curves cut in them? Yeah, yeah. So 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 granted, I mean, it's going to be it's a, it's a small thing from the outside once it's all finished. But if you're there on raising day and you see how all the pieces fit together mm-hmm. like a puzzle, yeah. those small pieces play such a huge role. Yeah. And so I was so fascinated each time it would go into place. You know, there are these six posts. So I got to see this, mm-hmm. you know, I guess six times, right? And each one, that's, it's like the final chink in the armor that just kind of holds mm-hmm. everything together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's so cool how it all stabilizes itself in the end. Yeah. So... Timber framing has been around for just about as long as any other type of building. I, I don't know if they're... So the, first, the, the, the earliest timber framing structures are, are, that I know of, and there may be older ones, but I, the, the ones that I know of are called stave churches. And they are in Norway, Sweden, that, that area of Europe. Um, and they were built by... Um, Vikings that got converted to Christianity, and what the word nave comes from ship, and basically what they did was the shipbuilders just turned a ship upside down, um, and the, and that's the nave, that's the center of these stave churches. The stave churches are built similar in structure, as in like they, it's the cross shape, like the cathedrals. Uh, it, they're smaller, they're made out of wood and not stone, um, but. They're beautiful. I've never been to one, but that I know of, those are the oldest timber frame structures. Uh, the, we're talking over a thousand years old. Okay. Um, and so some of these timbers are still original thousand year old 
um, pieces of wood. So, what kind of wood typically would it be? Ooh, for stave churches, I don't know. Okay. Uh, uh, maybe pine. I mean, they're up north, so like you've got like coniferous trees that that grow uh, far north. Yeah. So I would guess they have some of that, um, and. Um, and bef- and don't let me get on this this rabbit trail because there's a big rabbit trail. But they they can make they they had these methods of making these timbers last longer by they would wound the tree while it's still living while it's still standing. They would take blades and they would they would knock the bark off like up to twenty feet or higher. They have these really long blades with on poles and they would just wound these trees up. And what would happen is they would secrete all their resin to the outside. And they'd come back next winter and do it again. And next winter, I think, I don't know how long they would do this, but it'd be like, like we're talking, they would have a structure in mind for 10 years before they started building it. And they would, they would start wounding the tree so that the resin would harden the wood. And then they would cut it down. And then these, these timbers would last much longer that way. Wow. So back to timber framing. Basically, the idea is, in essence, to make... Um, joints all made out of wood so everything so there's no foreign materials introduced into the the way things are held together so a lot of houses are held together by screws and nails um but timber frame houses are 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 held together by basically gravity all the joints are designed to each piece of wood is going to have uh a tenon which is the piece of wood that sticks out into a mortise, a mortise. I remember it by saying mouth, mortise, mouth, tenon, tongue. So like tenon sticks out, mortise, you, you're receiving something. Does that make sense? So, um, it's like Lego pieces fitting together. Yeah, that kind of idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Usually you've got like the bumpy parts, and uh-huh. then you've got the the part that receives the bumpy parts. It's the same sort of thing. Man, that you didn't think you'd be saying quali- bumpy parts on this podcast, <laughs> did you? Um, yeah. So anyways, that's, that's timber framing in essence. Bas- the, the key words are mortise and tenon. Um, now the part that really makes it special is a, a big part of it is if you're going to go through so much trouble in m- cutting all of these joints, I mean, all the joints, uh, have to be cut by hand, um, not with hand tools. You, 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 we use power tools, but they're all marked out on. They're all figured up on paper first, um, and there's a lot of trigonometry involved because once you start like putting a rafter up, a rafter is the angled piece that you see a lot in attics. It goes up from the from the posts or the plates. They go up to the center. Those are rafters, and so that's at an angle. And once you start doing angles, you've got to start trying to figure out how to make a ninety degree angle out of that whatever. 60 degree, 20 degree right. way that wood is, is angled up. Um, so that's where trigonometry starts to come into play. So first of all, you got to draw it out on paper, and then you have to draw it on the wood, and then you have to cut it out with saws, and um, there's different things, mortise, chain mortisers, uh, hand saws, things like that. Um, so if you're going to go through all this trouble, you want to make the structure, inherently you're going you're gonna, to, want to, the structure to be as, as aesthetically pleasing and as beautiful as possible. And 
and I think it's, and my dad talks about this a lot, and I think it's also true of other timber frame structures, and to say that the roof pitch matters a lot. For my dad, uh, roof pitches are measured in, it's a number, and then a slash, and then another number. So it's always 6, 12, 8, 12, 10, 12, 12, 12. And as you go up, as you go up in number, your roof pitch gets steeper. So when you get to like 2412, it's it's like almost 90 degrees. It's it's really really steep. Um, so for my dad to build, in order to build a timber frame structure, the lowest uh, roof pitch he's going to have is that he's going to build is a 1212. And for him, his, his saying is. 1212 leaves room for, leaves room for the angels. Is that basically 45 degrees? Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. All right. So all of your triangles are going to be right triangles. Okay. They're going to be 45, 45, 90 okay. triangles, uh, which makes cutting some joiner easy. Um, the gazebo is 1212. Okay. Um, so anyways, uh, so timber framing... You don't have to do a steep roof pitch, but I think a lot of people do because they're going through so much trouble anyways. They might as well um, make it look beautiful and feel... Um, sacramental is not the right word, but in a sense, like have some sort of longevity associated with the structure and all that. Yeah, yeah. Do so, you guys use the... What is the golden ratio, golden mean? We did for one... There, there. We don't. We didn't use it for everything. Okay. Um, the one piece in which we did use the golden mean, and for those of you that don't know what the golden mean is, the golden mean was used by the Greeks to build the Parthenon, and it's centered around the height of an of an average person, and you draw circles, concentric circles, off of that, and I don't know. I don't know how it works, but basically, harmoniously, the structure works. In as in relation to a person, it's the ratio that people think is the most beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we use that to establish how high we wanted the posts, because uh, so on top of the posts that you have the plates, the plates sit horizontally from post to post, and so when you're the post, or I'm sorry, the plates is typically where you sort of think of the 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 space ending or there there's a stopping point you can try your eye can travel up and then it's stopped at the plate and so we wanted somebody uh coming into the structure and sitting in the structure to feel some good mojo uh and so um actually the way it worked out our um the height of the post is 111 inches which is bilbo's birthday hey hey yeah so it's kind of cool yeah um, but, um, yeah, so that's the one place you, some people go crazy with it. I mean, they, they start doing like distance between posts, dif- distance, like height of rafters and everything based on the golden mean, but we didn't do all that. We, we chose to, to do some things with it and some things not. I'm pretty sure I remember reading at some point that some of the really good Renaissance painters also used the golden mean in mm. some of their paintings. Um, I bet you're right. Yeah. Like we're talking the proportions of Mona Lisa's face, stuff mm. like that. I'm sure it can be applied. I know that it, I'm sure it can be applied to uh, lots of things. I know that audio engineers use it. 
Um, so it's not just visual then. No, yeah, I think it. I think That's it also, cool. Yeah, okay. it has something to do with. It's got sound going. I did not know that. Um, yeah. I always thought of it as just a visual thing. Yeah. Well, I think they they'll like people that are designing rooms for recording will take this into consideration because sound bounces around uh, yeah. similar to light. Well, there is some there is a spatial aspect to sound design because like if you're if you're listening with headphones some things sound close up and some things sound far away. Mm-hmm. And that's not just an accident. The the sound designer intentionally made it that way. Yeah. And so he puts certain instruments to go louder in certain ears yeah. to give a certain spatial feel. Sometimes I like that, and then sometimes it can go wrong. I yeah. was listening to a song that I loved, and I've actually been meaning to talk to you about this because... I'm trying to put together a video about the trees and the gazebo, and I want and you're going to be my music guy, obviously. Hey, um, and and I wanted to show you some inspiration that I had uh, for the for the music behind this video. Anyways, I was listening to the song, and it's this great song. But the at the very beginning and in the middle, they have this. It's like a guitar picking sound that was produced to go from ear to ear. Mm. like right to left and right to left and it makes me dizzy so maybe it's a subtlety thing maybe you're not supposed to notice it maybe so so because it doesn't happen on my speakers okay like my bose or my big speakers but it does happen with headphones so i guess I, i guess maybe headphones have there's more um small nuances that you can pick up on headphones that you can't on speakers yeah yeah, and you can blast the music louder. That makes a that makes a difference. Yeah, too. I don't like headphones typically, uh-huh. but yeah, anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you've got your story of running with the headphones and <laughs> the rap music. It's a great story. Yeah. Well, is that the one where you're talking about where I wave to those guys? Yeah, where you got the music so loud yeah. and it just yeah, it just puts you in running mode. Yeah. It's amazing was, that music can do that. Yeah. It can alter people's moods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did an experiment in, I I think it was middle school at some point. Um, uh, I was supposed to do a science experiment, and so I tried to figure out if music actually could affect people's heart rate, because I I don't think I've ever told you about this. Uh -uh. Um, Because, you know, like if you, you have scary music in a movie, people's heart rates go up. But I wondered, like, is that just the music? Can you do that with just the music? Or is it... So I took... I took two parts of the same soundtrack. I put the Hobbiton theme from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, one of my favorite themes. And then songs. I and then I took Shelob's Lair. Okay. And uh I had everybody in my family uh sit down and listen to it one at a time and I checked their heart rate after listening to each thing. Now granted, everybody in my family's seen the movie, uh-huh. so that might, you know, visually I'm okay. sure it's like going in their head. Yeah. But she lives layer did produce a faster heart rate. How much faster? So, I don't think it was a whole lot faster. But but it was it was, it was a difference. Wow, yeah. that's cool. And I felt awesome after doing that experiment. You should <laughs> <laughs> you should do that with music that isn't associated with something else. Yeah, you yeah, should that's make a good your idea. own music. Yeah, um, where there's no visual connection. Yeah, or at least as little as possible. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Yeah. That would be cool. Okay, so you mentioned trees. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's how does that that's work? a really. That, I mean, I shouldn't have 
glossed over that. I guess we were just talking about timber framing. Yeah. Um, so next to the, well, not next to, uh, all around this gazebo that we're building is a spiral of uh, tulip poplar trees that I planted a few years back. Um, and they are as much a part of this gazebo as a gazebo. Uh, and I've been meaning to write a little sentence about it and put it on a plaque somewhere over there. But um, Say, hey, don't cut these trees down. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> I'm sure some of those maintenance guys have mowed a few down. Uh, I don't blame them because they have to cut over. I think it's like 100, some, it's more than 100 trees. Um, and so there, it's a big spiral. I don't know how big it is, but... Um, there's like there's like a there's like a starting point and then you just travel around the spiral and then once you get to the center of the spiral is where the gazebo sits and right now the gazebo is the center of attention you know it's the biggest thing the coolest thing that's the one that's been obviously had the most effort put into it um but in hopefully i mean i'm like probably 50 years it won't be that way i'm hoping the trees get to where they're um, they're more important than the gazebo. And the gazebo is just a surprise that you find in the middle of this spiral of trees. That would be my hope. And I, whether I'm alive to see that or not, I don't know. Um, both pieces of the, of the, I guess it, it's an art. Uh, it's an art. It's an art piece. Uh, so, you know, um, both, both should be taken together. Um, and it will be more easily done in the future yeah. when the trees get bigger. Yeah. Right now they're like yeah. three or four feet high. Yeah. Um, so, so that's a really important point here. When we're talking about these big wooden structures, this, this, is, a, this is a long-term project. So, and it's always been that way. With these with these art forms, I mean, these things were built. They were, first of all, they were built to last. Oh, we're talking about timber framing or planting trees. Well, I, I was talking about timber framing, but both. Okay. I mean, yeah, just working with trees mm-hmm. uh, is is going to be a, a big endeavor. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's supposed to last for generations, and sometimes it takes generations to build. Yeah. Like, if you think about those cathedrals. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of that is stone, but mm-hmm. oh my gosh, how many hundreds of years yeah. of just construction? Yeah, untold. Like, nobody has seen a cathedral started and finished, ever, uh, that I know of. Not, a, yeah. not an actual... Yeah. Um, I mean, not even the most recent one, which is... Uh, dang. I can't even remember the name of it. It's in Spain. It's in Barcelona. Is it the one with the the tree spirals inside? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember the. I can't remember right now. It's still in the process of being built, but it was started like over a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and in a sense, this is similar. Uh, geez, that could be. I could maybe I could work. I've been trying to come up with a name for this piece. Maybe I could like get cathedral in the name somehow. I don't know. I'll have to think about that. Yeah. But, um. Anyways. Yeah, uh, the the spiral is as much a part of the gazebo. That's and just amazing. Like, Im- imagine imagine starting a painting, knowing that you were gonna die hmm. before you saw the painting finished. That you had to trust that other people were gonna do it right. Jeez, never thought about it like that. Or, or any other starting art a, form. A, uh, a song. Yeah, starting a song, starting to make a mug. Yeah, and like you know, going into it hmm. that. 
you're you just hope that you can that you can Take do it as good far on along. your part yeah so that other people have good stuff to build on mm-hmm. that's that's there's a lot of faith involved in that in a sense that's how i feel about the land here yeah because it's already been in my generation in my family for uh, five generations and hopefully it'll go on for longer um and so you have to sort of think okay I, you know i want to make it better but I, I can't finish this project so well not to I mean, not to intentionally bring this back full circle to the beginning, but, you know, we were talking about art as a community thing rather Mm -hmm. than just about the artist. That's true. And stuff like building a gazebo and planting trees. Yeah. Or starting cathedrals. I mean, Mm. that's that's so community-based. Inherently, it almost can't be too selfish. Yeah. Because... Otherwise, you wouldn't even really be knowing what you were doing. That's true. You, you wouldn't, yeah. Like, who would start a cathedral believing that they would be able to be the one to finish it? Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. Um, Westminster, and this is sort of going along the lines of how long it takes and the the forward thinking that you have to do, but the biggest timber frame structure that I know of um, is Westminster Hall, I don't know how big the timbers are, but it, it, it spans, I don't know, a tremendous distance. Um, and they actually planted an entire forest just for the like uh, regeneration of Westminster Hall. So like these trees are over 200 years old now, and they're just now getting ripe, mm-hmm. like ready to, if there's repairs that need to be done on Westminster Hall, they're going to use those, those trees that were planted for that purpose. A forest just for maintenance. Mm-hmm. Maintenance forest. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So I w- and and I would love to do more structures, more art pieces like this. I don't I don't know if a spiral is what I want to do. I've been talking with Reagan about different things that I want to do with trees and um, and gazebos because that that can be really powerful. I think because spaces are so important to people. Everybody has like their comfortable space. Um, yeah. And I would love to be able to create that for somebody outside. Um, so, yeah, just a little, yeah, little yeah. bit into my brain. Well, there. and also, I mean, there's something deeply spiritually powerful about trees. Like, not to get too weird with it, and this is definitely an unfinished thought, mm-hmm. but every religion makes a big deal about trees, huh. and there's something like deep in our DNA yeah. that connects with them. Yeah. Something about deep roots and, and high branches. Height. It's like the connecting point between earth and sky. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but yeah. th- there's something there. Imagine a world without trees. Uh, yeah. And I, then think, these are just freaking sticks that stick straight up in the ground. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been to the redwoods. Yeah. Uh, how tall are those trees? 400 feet tall? Bigger? I don't know. It could it's, be a 10,000 feet like tall. It's like something out of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. I was watching a YouTube video on scientists still don't know how redwoods get water up there, way up there, because it's only scientifically possible to suck something up. Like, uh, um, I don't know what that property of water is, but you can only draw water up so far. Like there's only so much force that can be possibly applied to water to draw it up for as, and there's like a number. Okay. And like redwoods are like five times that height. 
and they don't know, they think, they think it has something to do with the fact that there's solutes and different things mixed with this water that's going up the trunk, but like they don't know that. And it's, it's pretty amazing that there's still big questions that we don't know. Yeah. I can get chill bumps. I'm getting chill bumps right now talking about it. <laughs> chill bumps and sweat. At the same yeah, time. yeah. When does that happen? That is something else, man. If you're not getting chill bumps and sweaty right now, then you're not doing. You're not. Put your headphones in yeah, harder. Yeah, you're not or listening right. <laughs> man. Well, that's really cool. It's it's been neat to watch the project you know, well, come thanks. alive. So. Yeah. And I didn't realize. I told your dad this, and I probably told you this, but I'll say it again. I didn't realize how much math was involved in construction. I just had no idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew that there was some, you got to measure the logs. I, I don't know. I guess I just hadn't thought about it because of like saying it out loud, like, of course there would be math involved, but it's not something that you think about when you look at a building mm-hmm. and, oh, that's a cool building. Wow. You don't think how much trigonometry went into it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you almost can't, like you wouldn't know until you experienced it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I still don't, I mean, my dad's a trig guy. I just, I just cut what he tells me to cut. So he knows even more than I do how much math is involved. Um, and Steve Chapel, the guy he learned from, he's got, he actually has a unit of measurement named after him called the Chapel. It's a uh, one hundredth, ten hundred, yeah, five hundredths of a, of an inch is, is a Chapel. And he's got his own, he's got his own, they've got, um, Five hundred speed squares and stuff all made so out of chapels. So you're dealing in twentieths. So yeah, that's the thing. They, that would be that would be not something that would be good for really anything other than woodworking. Yeah, they take what it's. Um, they take a like if you have a tape a tape measure. Tape measures are are done in sixteenths. So you take an inch and you divide it into fourths, and then you divide those fourths into halves, and then you divide those halves into halves. But Steve Chapel, he takes. Um, an inch and divides it into fourths and then instead of dividing those fourths into halves he divides those fourths into into um like i guess hundredths or five like in sections of 0.05 uh-huh so you you divide those in differently and it works a lot better you don't have to better um, even than using the metric system yeah i mean i think it is a metric system well it's not millimeters, but it's the same sort of idea where it's around tens instead uh-huh. of whatever the English yeah. version is. Yeah. So. Yeah. Our system is so weird. Yeah, it's odd. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't measure, you wouldn't like, yeah, I don't know. There, there's an uncompleted thought for you again. <laughs> <laughs> and just leave that there. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Well, I, I have a... My, my respect for that kind of art has grown so much just from watching someone mm. do it. Um, and I wonder, like, how much timber framing happens these days? Like, yeah, you, you said something like it was the last round of that kind of wood that was even bought in this region mm-hmm. of the world Yeah, the, well, over, over the season yeah. or something like that? It, was really, it wasn't related to timber framing necessarily. It was more related to our weather. I mean, it was okay. this spring, it was raining, like, every weekend, so logs weren't getting cut because you can't drag all the logging equipment out there in the mud so we actually got the last bit of cypress in the region um, for the season so um but it, it is funny and, and and interesting that you buy about the same in terms of board feet which is how lumber is measured it's the same amount of wood as a, a regular two by four stud house is 
So why would you not go with an inherently more stable style of construction? Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking if an earthquake comes, I would rather be in a timber frame house because everything's fitting together, yeah. right? So it's not going to shake around as much. Two things. One, uh, tornadoes have come through and knocked tree whole like two trees onto timber frame houses, and the houses are fine. Like there's not even like the structure is is fine it, because it's made out of the trees. Uh, and the other thing is the Japanese they would they would never screw or bolt their structures into the ground in any way. They, the concrete's not a thing. With the I don't know I'm sure concrete is used in Japan, but like with these traditional structures with these timber frame structures, they would scribe the bottom of these posts to, to gigantic boulders. So, like, if earthquakes happen, which they do in Japan, or tsunamis, uh, the whole house just kind of jiggles and moves around a little bit on the rock, but then it just settles back down, right, because it's been scribed. Every single contour of that rock is traced onto the, mm-hmm. the timber, and it's never bolted. They, like, there's nothing bolted to the ground. So it absorbs it better? Yeah, it, it vibrates and shakes around and maybe scary, but then it'll settle right back. So what's the con? Like what, the why con would, is why it would takes you... a whole heck of a lot longer. Okay. Oh. And it's much more skill. Okay. And so it's not good for mass production. No. If you're trying to get a whole city going, yeah, it's a lot quicker. It's to much go the more way. efficient to do it with studs. Okay. Um, which is fine, I guess, if that's where you want to live. Um, and. Uh, but if you had the choice, I mean, if you have the choice, then it, it makes sense to, if you can do something with your hands, if you can uh, then uh, build your own timber frame house. Uh, like I read, a, I read a book or I started reading a book where that was his opening line was like, you use the same amount of board feet. You're going to buy the same amount of lumber, whether you do timber framing or studs. It's just going to take longer for you to build a timber frame structure. But it'll last longer uh, and it'll be a better structure in the end. So, so it's, just, it's like instead of you get what you pay for, it's like you get what you work for or oh, something wow. like that. Yeah. Put that on a shirt. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you can make that the opening of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good idea. I mean, we're sitting in a cabin that was uh, moved from Mississippi. All these logs were hand-hewn with an axe. Um, I guess it wasn't an axe. I think, I don't know what the tool is. But you stand on the log and you and you... And you you hew it between your legs, um, so you can see like all the you know the check marks and all that. Um, and there's just something about the this cabin that has made itself just a place that is unlike any other. I mean, we have events up here with all of our best friends that people will remember forever. I mean, it's it's a place of rest, um, and it's just not in 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 like. Part of that is the company, but then there's also part of that that comes with the, the place that you're at. Um, so, all that's all the relationship between you and your space is very important, and and not enough people think about it. Uh, and doing timber framing makes you think about it. So there's this uh, pretty famous public thinker, who has said over and over and over, "Clean your room." And maybe that kind of gets to what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Because most of what he has to say is about personal transformation. Okay. Right? But it starts with clean up the space around you. Yeah. And that is the start of transforming yourself. Mm -hmm. 
So I didn't make that connection until just now. Yeah. But maybe that's... The connection to your space is yeah, important. Yeah, that space is is a way in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, you were talking about my my pain cave, my shred shed. Um, <laughs> How many more of those you got? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't come up with either of those. Um, but uh, anyways, I enjoy working out a lot more in there when it's clean. Mm-hmm. I mean, as clean as you can get with that shed. But, you know, when everything's in its place and when the, the floor is swept, like when I go in there, I mean, I, I don't enjoy, like, it's, hard, it's still hard for me to get up and go work out. But when I get in there, it's a better experience to have, you know, a, a clean space than, it, than to have a messy space. So that's very true. Yeah. And experience, and, and the, here's the thing, like Mr. Benson, one of my um, big-time influencers in my life, was a, uh, he always said, like, in the 60s and 70s, we had drugs. Drugs was our way out. Now it's technology. Technology is the modern-day drug. And it's true. I mean, you see people driving down the road looking at a phone for dozens of seconds at a time, and it's unbelievable. Yeah, they're having to write new laws just to... It's to, unbelievable. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, I, I just can't... Um, I mean, I guess... And, and, this, and this relates to space because if that's your space, I mean, if your phone is your space... It's a pretty small space. It's a small space... <laughs> And it can't be yours. I mean, it's right. all—it's somebody else's, and it's—it's, it's, anyways. Yeah, and you can't, in a sense, you can't own it because you don't know how phones work. No. Yeah, it, it, they make you believe that you own it because uh-huh. you can put your background picture and, you know, all those gizmos that you can do. Yeah, um, but you're not in—you're not in control of how likes work or yeah. notifications work. Yeah. Um. Or whether your notifications are shared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Technology, it's it's. Uh, I mean, it can be used for good. Um, and I don't want to like sound like I'm hearkening back to the good old days because that wasn't a thing. There's no such thing as the good old days, right? You and I have just talked about. We how were just talking over health. dinner about how yeah, pub- public garbage removal didn't start in the U.S. until 1895. Yeah. That blew me away when I heard that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not good old days talk. No, no. Yeah, like the vision of you sitting on your front porch, sipping on, I don't know, what was it? Uh, a drink. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Sweet tea, I think. Yeah, sweet tea. Um, th- you know, that, 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 that didn't ever happen. And, uh, and, the Andy Griffith style kind yeah. of, yeah. Reagan and I were talking, and we were talking at breakfast, and I had made biscuits that morning, and she had made eggs and ham, and we had coffee and orange juice. So, like, we had a heck of a breakfast. And I remember she made, like, the comment, like, wow, how wonderful, like, it would be to be able to have all this of our own. Like, we had had the milk from our cow, and we made, you know, this was all came off of our land. And And I made the comment, like, that probably happened back then, but not all at once. You know, like the breakfasts and meals like that were probably pretty rare. Like mm-hmm. you had to, you didn't just have an abundant, an abundance all the time. You had to ration things out. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, maybe you got pork one day, but then maybe you just had, I don't know, a biscuit from for yeah. breakfast one morning, yeah. that kind of thing. And the, and the milk carried disease cause it wasn't pasteurized. Yeah. 
Those were hard days, man. I I was telling you about how much it sucks to like cut down trees and drag them off. And back then they didn't have tractors. They had horses. And they did that all day. And I do it for like five hours and I'm like dead. No AC waiting for you man. when you come back inside. That, <clears throat> my my grandfather did, he his whole farm was cleared by him his brothers and his dad by horse and oh, the mule and um, a, a pool team. I mean that 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 took commitment and strength that it's rare to see now, mm-hmm. and it's it's not easy. It's it's the hardest thing. So we kind of talked about this with Brian Dinker. Um, Masculinity. Well, just. Uh, hearkening back to a time when upper body strength was needed for survival. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It definitely was yeah. then. And it's not like a switch is flipped and all of a sudden it's not that way, but it has changed. Mm-hmm. There has been a change over time Yeah, um, where it's not as needed now. Yeah. Um, and his thought, you know, uh, anyone listening, I encourage you to go back and listen to the Brian Dinker episode. I think it's near the end when we started talking about this, so you can just kind of skip to the end if this is the part you're interested in but i mean his his thought is you know eventually history will change and we'll be in a situation where society needs that upper body strength again yeah and yeah things will balance themselves out in time yeah yeah i i think um i don't know when that time will come but the way that our the way that it it's going right now doesn't seem um it doesn't seem like it can hold out forever. Um, I mean, not to be morbid here, because I don't want to be, but, you know, it just seems like um, the rate at which we're growing, there's this thing called a J-curve. And at some point, the J evens out. And so, like, you kind of have to... It's I guess it's, it's wise to sort of... I mean, I think it would be good for everybody to think about that. Like, okay, could I survive you know in a in a in a world that's not like now um so what what would the skills be good to learn like if you wanted to learn man skills i'm not talking about just like prepping yeah like i'm not talking about doomsday preppers yeah i'm not yeah this isn't like zombie apocalypse yeah no no this is this is if i had to kill a deer to feed my family could i yeah what skills do i need I need to learn how to shoot either a gun or a bow. So right. that's one skill right there. I've got to have uh, the I, the stamina to crawl through woods and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I've got to know enough about my surroundings to know which direction the wind is traveling. Mm-hmm. I've got to know enough about my surroundings to be able to get back home. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. That's all stuff that I don't know how to yeah. do. Oh, I don't either. Yeah, yeah I don't either. But... I, I did think about this earlier this week. I was like, I think I probably should go kill a deer just to see if I can. I mean, I don't want to kill anything. Like, I know, I'm, I'm pretty, like, an emotional guy. And so, like, killing stuff doesn't make me happy. Um, but at the same time, it's like, maybe this is part of, like, maybe becoming a man has to do with being able to do that, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not even out of necessity, but out of, I don't know. Yeah. Proving yourself, yeah. in a sense. Well, we also, I mean, we talked about this with Brian Dinker also. I mean, it's easy now to say it's immoral to kill an animal. 
but mm-hmm. you know we have the luxury of being able to say that now yeah you know say that when that's your only chance of yeah, food that's exactly and right it might be harder for you to say that yeah yeah you won't want to eat beans we don't we don't realize what our what our actual morality is until it's tested tested gosh Put that on another We're T-shirt. Put that on the front of the podcast. <laughs> we'll put that at the end. Well, oh yeah, yeah. Well, we'll just do T-shirts. Well, that's okay. what we should do. We should have we should have an, an um, like a limited time T-shirt run. Fifty bucks a piece. Anybody listening? <laughs> feel free to buy one. We'll have our quotes on there. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, all that's all that's we have we have gone way off track, but. It's all it's all stuff that we care about, you know, and we're so lucky to live the way the way we do now. I mean, that this stuff is more of an experiment than yeah. a matter of necessity. Yeah, and more than likely, I mean, our lives won't change. I think the J curve will hold out for while we're alive, at least. Um, but so, like, we we I just. I can remember being in college and my last semester of college we <clears throat> had there's a there's a cafeteria at the college we went to and they had just switched from a from an old dining service to a new dining service and it was like going from night to day man mm-hmm. they had like freaking uh, guacamole boy I loaded up on that stuff and I can just remember like every day being I have never been more significant or never been so sincerely and consistently thankful for something than that food every day at Kobo. Um, I would just sit down and I would just be overwhelmed with like, I get to have my pick of all this delicious food, fruits, fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, fresh meat. And it, it was just such a, uh, a, such a gift. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it's still that way, even though I've got to buy it, yeah. um, now and but, prepare it, but I still yeah. get that luxury. But you get there through the testing like, you get that thankfulness <laughs> after a yeah. year of prison food. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. You should... There's a book called Do Hard Things. Have you read that? Uh-uh. I haven't either. It's, it's a good title. Is it the same The same idea? I don't know. Okay. I hope so. Huh. Because, uh, I mean, it, it, that's that was sort of my idea behind Thruster Thursday that I've talked about on earlier podcasts, was like, do hard things. Like, yeah. do things that you don't want to do. Yeah. Well, um, uh, you know... Maybe you can apply this, whoever is listening, apply this to something that you care about in life. You mm-hmm. know, if you love music, like if you think of music as your passion, try to write a song, mm-hmm. you know, uh, try to invest yourself into the thing that you think you care about and maybe it'll grow your appreciation for it even more. Yeah. Um, for those who love good food, try your hand at cooking yeah. and try to get really good at it. Mm-hmm. And, uh. I mean, and you can fail only, a lot. Yeah, and fail a lot. Man, yeah. failing sucks, dude. I hate failing. And I, uh, I had the most frustrating day today. I told you a little bit about it at family dinner, but I was trying to uh, build this desk for myself, and I want it to be like mortise and tenon type stuff. And um, I'm not a good carpenter, and I, like trying to use my hands for these fine tuned things is it's like. It's like trying to read Braille or something, or like maybe not that far, but it's just very awkward for me. Like none of my hands work the way that I want them to, and 
stuff falls down and crap like that. And it's, it was like eight hours of frustration. And at one point I had to sit down and I sat down and all I wanted to do was give up. And, and I don't get tested like that often enough. I don't, I don't take on challenges. I should do this more often where I, where I can grow accustomed to failing and then getting over it and doing it anyways. Skateboarding is that way. If you like skateboarders have got a heck of a will because no one can just get up and do an ollie. They're not born ollieing, you know. Um, but they have they have to fall down like a hundred trillion times before they can do that. And then they, and then that's like the first trick you learn. And then you got to go learn a hundred others. Um, a good friend of mine, Jacob Walker, is a skateboarder, and he's like, he's just it, it talked to me about how like such, there's such a will involved there and you, you're going to fall down and you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to want to quit but then you have to go do it the next day or whatever and that kind of stuff is like you should you should allow yourself to do that because it's a big learning experience um and i'm doing it i'm failing right now at this desk it's winning um <laughs> but i'm determined to not let it win i want to win in the end so yeah yeah and this is the first time i've been tested like this in a really long time and i'm and I, I hope I'm not sounding like I'm, I'm like doing good at it or like I'm accustomed to it because it's, it's really hard and I'm not good at failing. You're just psyching yourself up for tomorrow? Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> Give this me a power aid. This or, is your pep talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll turn this on and listen to it like, tomorrow morning. Yeah. So I'm thinking about uh, the recent Marvel movie, Endgame. Okay. Um, so Don't spoil anything for those that haven't seen it. Okay, I won't. Thank you. If you haven't seen it, although you, you ought to just turn this off and watch it. Well, also, be... if you haven't if you haven't seen it, then you don't care at this point. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you're like really living under a rock. <laughs> That's true. Okay, so where is this going? So I think that movies. This has to do with with adversity, okay. making you stronger. Okay. So I think that. If if these are the most successful movies in really ever, um, it's like it's the big art form in our culture. Sure. Um, along with music, those yeah. are probably the two big ones. Okay. I think that you know, and it's storytelling. So I think there's something deeply powerful about these characters that we connect with. I don't think it's just escapism. So okay. you could say that these yeah. movies are just you know, it's adventure and it's fun and it's just a way out for people because life is hard. I actually think there's something deeper than that going on. Okay. And the reason why I think it's that way is I see a pattern. And the pattern is um, with characters like Tony Stark and Captain America, you know, Steve Rogers, okay. Thor, all these characters in, in, this, in this granted fairy tale world, they are broken down by something they've never experienced before, and they come back stronger. Okay. So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without spoiling anything of Endgame, let's just take Thor as an example. Mm -hmm. You know, he comes down to Earth, cast out because he's too proud, and he has to earn his way back to getting to, you know, wield the hammer. And then he has family members die, and then he has more family members die, and then he encounters mm -hmm. more adversity. And then he's got to, you know, it just gets bigger and bigger... And each thing should just completely break his spirit. And it's either going to do that or make him stronger. Mm -hmm. And it, it makes him stronger. 
Yeah. And I think people want to see that. I think, I think they want to be inspired by that. Wow. So you could say that it's, yeah, you could say that it's just fiction and that it's not real, but I mean, if it's not real, then why do we cry Mm -hmm. at these movies? Mm -hmm. I think, I think in a sense, in a sense, these movies are real. Yeah. You know, they're, it's, it's, it's real in an archetypal way, like a deeply symbolic way. Mm-hmm. It's it's inspirational. Like I'm really inspired by the character of Captain America. Yeah, and and, and they they you also get to see them fail. Yes, yes. Because uh, they don't always do great, right? And they don't always like. And I don't mean fail like they got knocked out by a punch. Mm-hmm. I mean like. They have serious character flaws yeah, that they fail at. That's most of Tony Stark's story. Yeah, is failure. Jeez, I got sweat and chill bumps going again, <laughs> again. man. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's most of his story. Yeah, like even from the first Iron Man movie, like he's trying to right his wrongs mm-hmm. from making all these weapons that he should never have made in the first place. Yeah, and funding terrorists. Yeah, and that starts him on this process. And yeah. you know, I'm not going to say what happens. Yeah, but you should watch it. You should watch him. You should watch Infinity War first and then Endgame. I've actually got a screenshot on my computer of yeah. this particular moment in Endgame that I just find incredibly inspiring. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I think it's too simple to say that these movies are just fiction. I think, I think there's a part of them that are real. And I think the proof yeah. of that is that we cry. Yeah. So I have a question. All this that we've talked about resonates deeply, I think, within the masculine being. Um, This whole thing about do hard things, fail and try again, uh, those types of things, you know, I think resonate within you and I and also just the man. Like there's, there's there's men and there's boys, and I think this all resonates with men. Where is where does this play into womanhood? Um, geez, where's Reagan and Angel when we need them? <laughs> I hope they're cooking something nice over there. I heard they were talking about splitting butter and sugar, and I thought that's a good sign. Yeah, maybe some brownies. <laughs> um, so back on track. Like, what? Is, what is that? How does this fit into the womanhood? Because women are different from men, but they're not aliens from men. Um. There's more similarity than difference, but you there think, is a difference. Yeah. So, like, should they do hard things? Should they fail and, and get stronger? Well, here's an example with, um, with my wife. Um, and I don't know if this fully answers your question, but, it's, but I, it, it is connected. Okay. So, uh, my wife has been through a lot of emotional and spiritual hardship that have all helped to form her into the person she is today. Part of that comes from being a missionary kid where you move a lot and you have to adapt to different cultures Mm. on a very quick basis that I have never experienced. Okay. And I can imagine that that's really hard. Um, But... I also uh, wanted to marry her because there's something, there's something about her that I think has partly come from those experiences um, that I find really inspiring and attractive and 
awesome. inspirational yeah. and a source of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, she is not... It, so that, that was one example. Example two with Angela is uh, college life is designed for a specific type of personality, and Angela is not that personality. Okay. But she stuck it out, and she pushed through, and she mm. graduated, and she struggled in college in a way that I have never felt. But in a sense, she got more out of it than I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, Jeez. yeah, it helped to shape her character. Okay. In a way that I didn't get to experience. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't realize that's a good example. Yeah, I don't. I those those two things aren't female specific. Yeah, but they are examples from, from a female in my life. Yeah. So, <laughs> man, did you have any thoughts along those lines? Well, or? like part of my and I and I believe this is that part of my role as a man is to is to make Reagan's life easier. Not not to spoil her to the nth degree, you know, not, not we're not talking like a daddy spoil a rich daddy spoils his rich girl kind of thing. But like in a sense I should be the one to take the brunt of the work and the brunt of the heartache, hopefully, and the brunt of the emotional hardship. Like I want to be the bearer of those burdens for her. So in a sense, like maybe women womanhood doesn't require and maybe we're not even talking about womanhood maybe we're talking about stay-at-home motherhood i don't know i i I don't i'm not an expert on this so please don't sue me um (laughs) (laughs) but uh i mean i can only talk from my personal experience but um but then but there's another part where like there are things that reagan's gonna have to struggle with that i can't help with that I should, that she needs to be able to go through because she is going to come out stronger. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like a big, like I just asked that question not knowing the answer. I didn't know if you had any thoughts on it, but... Um, well, uh, also, this doesn't answer the question about about things that women go through that men don't, but it maybe helps to balance the discussion out a little bit. You know, just like as we're talking, we're kind of, I think, coming to the conclusion that it may depend on the individual woman. I think the adversity for men also depends on a lot of individual stuff. Okay. So, like, yeah, that's true. the things that shape you as a man are not the same things that shape me. Okay. So, yeah. Um, I think it, in the both the male and female case, I do think there is a, a categorical difference. I'm not saying that it's all individual, mm-hmm. but I think individual is a big part of it in both cases. Okay. Um, yeah. Because That's true. it could have easily have been the other way around with the college thing. I could have been the one to really struggle in college. Yeah. It could have just as easily have been me, mm-hmm. but it was, it was Angela who really got to reap the rewards of her struggle. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Man. Yeah. I will say one thing that I know about Angela is that she's probably one of the most um, eloquent persons I know. Mm-hmm. Like she can she can speak a thought that's coming into her head. Well, 
part of that has to do with being being forced by environment to learn multiple languages. Really? So, I didn't know that had yeah. a, a part. Yeah, she she would never tell you, but she is she she can speak multiple languages pretty easily. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah. man, I ask I I make jokes about it all the time, man. Yeah, she uh, she's very humble about it, which I appreciate. But yeah. she's she's verbally very quick, and yeah. I think it's it's forced that part of her brain to really hmm. to really work hard. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're to in English Indonesian. Uh, she probably doesn't know it as well now, but she grew up speaking a good bit of Korean, uh, French in college. Jeez. I think there's probably another one in there somewhere that I'm forgetting, but yeah. yeah. So it's, again, this is something I've never experienced. Um, mm. yeah. So, well, what else you got? I'm running dry, man. Okay. You're <laughs> sweated out. I'm sweated out, and I'm ready to eat some freaking brownies. Okay, signing out. (laughs) Hey, everybody. If you'd like to help us with this podcast, there are several different ways you can do that. One is to leave us a review. Another is to click subscribe. Um, You can share any episodes you particularly enjoy on social media for new listeners to hear. And also, check out the show notes for where you can follow us, because we'll be posting updates as this experiment continues to grow. So thanks for listening.